Welcome to The Trauma Tales, a production of Third Star Media and Shanna White Psychology. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics, including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma and suicide. If you don't think that you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath and come back another day. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and the elders in all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture and future and am committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice and creating opportunities to heal together. Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit. But what is trauma, really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist, and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life. But my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma and highlight its impacts and, most importantly, to help those who live through trauma to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents and adults. I try to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot. And now, you will too. Welcome back to the Trauma Tales, everybody. I'd like to introduce Gracie, who's joined us today. Hi, Gracie. Hey, how are you? I'm really good. How are you? I'm good. It's very interesting being on this side of the microphone for once. Yeah. So a little bit of context. Gracie is actually, how would you describe what you do? I'm the head of the AV club. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I love that. Yes. Gracie uh, runs everything to do with the trauma tales other than the actual interviewing I do that bit so the artworks um the recordings the mixing the editing the releasing the what did I miss well I think you covered all the bases with that one yeah excellent (laughs) yay um so any complaints straight to Gracie yes it's all me I'll take it I'll take it on the head thanks (laughs) so tell us a little bit about how I managed to rope you into being interviewed (laughs) (laughs) I mean, obviously, we we wanted to do this because it's something that has obviously shaped our professional careers a lot, but Mm -hmm. is also something that's very, um, I guess, has shaped us as people as well, um, both in respective ways. And when Shan started talking about wanting to do this podcast, I was like, well, I'll give it a crack. (laughs) You were a little more excited than that. I'm pretty sure I was the words excited. were, or the message reply was, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was very excited. Um, very excited about the podcast. Very excited about the concept. Um, and then Shan was like, would you like consider being on the podcast? And I was like, oh, yeah. 
And then afterwards I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> what have I got myself into? <laughs> so you know the breakdown. I do. So what's the first part? Now that you've listened to so many stories. <clears throat> Can you uh, tell me about a time in your life when you've experienced <laughs> Oh my god, you're doing this so well. You're even pulling the faces. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Would you like to ask the question still? So no, you, no, you're doing No, great. I'm asking my, I don't want to ask myself the questions. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit yeah. about a time um, where you experienced trauma. Um, uh, it's, it's, quite, it's quite hard to, to pin down um, a specific time. Um, I think uh, in hindsight, getting older... I look back at it and it's it's kind of more like being an accumulation of how old am I now? Twenty almost twenty three. Yeah, an accumulation of almost twenty three years of just circumstances um, that have led to me having, um, I guess, the crap that I deal with now. Um, so basically for as long, as far back as I can remember, I have struggled with, um, basically feeling like I'm worth anything. So like, and I'm talking like legitimately, I remember feeling this, like as young back as preschool age, um, just this pressure, always pressure that, um, I wasn't good enough, that I... I just wasn't enough. Like, I, I don't know how else to describe it. And it's something that really gets to me because I had the most, and I'm, I know people like, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, great childhood. I'm not exaggerating. I had the most incredible childhood. Like, I have the most amazing parents. Um, partic- They're pretty awesome. Yeah, Shan knows, Shan knows my mom. Um, I have the most amazing parents, but particularly I have the most amazing mother in the world. I do know Mrs. Gracie. Um- <laughs> Better than I know Mr. Gracie. I'm, I'm much more well acquainted with Mr. Gracie for his smart-ass comments on your social medias. That's true. That's, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I had the most amazing childhood. Um, I grew up with two parents who, from the beginning of my life, made me feel nothing but loved. Um, I also grew up in a Christian family, um, and I'm, I'm a Christian now um, as an adult. But part of growing up in that environment was being told from a very young age that I was enough that it didn't matter how many times I screwed up it didn't matter you know how many times I made mistakes it didn't matter if I wasn't the best at this or the best at that or I was enough just because of who I was as a person and the person that God had created me to be that was enough so theoretically you'd think that I'd be like cruising like you know but no like from my earliest memory it was you are shit you are not good enough nothing you ever do will be good enough and so kind of growing up with that mindset um and obviously being a little kid I just thought that everyone felt like that I felt like everybody was having existential crises when they were four years old but obviously now as an adult I know that's not the case um and then I think it was when I got into primary school um when I also kind of realized that I was uh, academically very I don't know how to say this without sounding like a wanker, but academically I was very gifted. Like I was a very bright kid, um, very good at school, picked up concepts really quickly. And because I'm also a creative person, I was able to kind of combine those two things together into what made me basically a phenomenal student academically. Um, And I realized very early on that if I could 
that doing well at school, doing well and achieving things um, made me feel a sense of a little bit better. Um, and I was like, oh, if I can make people proud of me, then mm. I don't feel so bad about myself. Um, and then you, you just need more and more like a drug. Like it it is. Tolerance. And obviously it's, it's taken me a very long time to realise this, but essentially I got into that um, cycle of needing to succeed, needing to go above and beyond in every single thing that I do because if I don't meet that mark that I've set for myself, um, I don't have a sense of self. I don't have a sense of being worth anything of validation. Is that like um, your sense of self is based on the reflections given to you by others? Unfortunately, yeah. Um, and it's something that I'm able to recognise now. Um, but obviously for a very long time... Um, I was able to keep myself going by meeting those standards, by meeting... That would um, have been exhausting. Oh, dude. <laughs> I it's, it is exhausting. But when you function at that level for such a long time, you get used to it. Um, and obviously when I was younger, it was super easy to meet those because, like I said, I was a very smart kid. I was able to keep knocking things out of the park. Um, but as I got older... And, you know, situation changed and things actually started to, I guess, for lack of a better word, matter. Um, it got harder and harder to keep it up. Mm. Um, to the point that uh, by the time I got to senior school, um, I, I'd, I'd been accelerated a year in English. So I'd finished my English HSE a year before everyone else. So I had then time to take up two extension English subjects. I had five major works. I was doing... Uh, classes before and after school like three three to four days a week um just to because I had to do well in the HSC um to the point where my mum would actually confiscate my laptop at night because I wouldn't stop studying yeah see as a mum of a teenager <laughs> I also confiscate electronics at night but not for yeah. fear of it's, overstudying it's the it was like the other end of the spectrum like she would have yeah. to take my laptop away from me because I wouldn't sleep um, particularly if I had an assessment or a test the next day or something. I just, I would not sleep. Um, and I got through the HSA. Um, I finished Ducks in my school and I had a mental breakdown. <laughs> so it, it, it got to a point where I couldn't, um, yeah, I couldn't maintain that level of go, go, go anymore. And I crashed. Um, and then obviously there's that period in between uh, finishing high school and starting uni if you go to uni um where you get a bit of a break and I guess I kind of had this mentality of oh you know like I've, I've got this like I, it'll be fine like it's a new it's a new start um and then basically I started uni and everything just went to shit what is what 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 was went to shit <laughs> well, what how did that look yeah I think because of I'd I'd built my sense of of worth my sense of purpose my sense of self I guess upon um being able to tick the boxes um mm. and that was very easy to do in high school because I knew what I had to do I knew hey they give you a list yeah I literally you have a list yeah. I had a purpose um I had a goal I knew exactly what I had to do to reach that goal and to reach it with flying colors essentially I went to uni and it it legitimately felt like someone had just pulled the rug had been pulled out from under me and then, like, punch me in the gut on the way down. That's how it felt. I 
everything was just that I had built my sense of identity on had just vanished. It was gone. Um, and I suddenly didn't know who I was anymore. I've just, I've just had this totally random, not re- totally random, but this thought where I too experienced, um, like I was a good student. I did reasonably well when I bothered. <laughs> I was also very lazy. Um, and that just, like I'm smart enough to cruise. Yeah. <laughs> and my teachers would always be like, yeah, that's, that's like C grade. I'm like, yeah, but it's, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, and sort of, oh, now I lost my train of thought. How ironic. But when you, when you are sort of, when you're in the middle, you want to move to the top and it's easy to sort of be higher in a bigger environment where everybody has to be. Mm -hmm. So in primary school, for example, everybody has to be in primary school. So there's no sort of delineation of skill or aptitude or capacity or cognitive capacity. Then you move to high school and they do start leaning off and particularly towards the end, you get accelerated programs and, you know, gifted and talented groups, et cetera, et cetera, for the people who are in that sort of space and the pool gets smaller. So Mm -hmm. you're not, it's easy to be the smartest person in the room when there's hundreds of people in the room and there's no um, prerequisites to getting in the room. When there's prerequisites to getting in the room and there's only 50 people in the room, you're probably not the smartest anymore. Yeah. And then you dilute that again and – well, not dilute it, concentrate it, opposite of dilute. You concentrate it even more and the, the doorway is getting smaller so fewer and fewer people coming through so you're no longer at the top. Yeah. But the group you're in is at the top. Yeah. But you don't see it when you're in that. No. Like in in academia, for example, like when you go to uni, everyone's sort of kind of doing it, you know, everyone's doing their bachelor and then you move into postgrad work. Mm. And then when you're doing postgrad work, it's a smaller pool of people. So they're going to be smarter. Mm. And then you move into master's work and there's a smaller pool of people. I, I, I think I'm lucky at the moment because I'm doing my master's. And I'm old and I don't care. <laughs> yeah, there's it's a benefit to that, I think. There really is. Uh, I just don't care. Like I listen to these uh, intensely academic and, oh, my God, eight-syllable words being thrown around. I'm like, don't sound smart, just be smart. And that's the thing. If you are smart, you don't need to try and sound smart. But, yeah, like, but you are right. Like with my degree at uni, like the they only 100 people got – in my course, only 100 people got accepted into the bachelor's program that I was doing and I think only 59 of us graduated. Mm. So it, yeah, it was it was cutthroat. It was rough. Um, and I think a lot of people who aren't in arts or creative fields don't imagine that. They don't imagine it's like, oh, you did an arts degree. Like it, <coughs> but they do. But it's, What's with the, the voice? Because that's how it's like, oh, you did an arts degree though. So it's a bit different. It's like, yeah, it's different to doing a STEM subject, but it it was brutal. It was cutthroat. Mm. Um, the level of it, and because because suddenly it wasn't only about being good at what you did, it was about how much can I put myself on display, how many like, how much politics can I play, in order to um, you know get in with the right teachers, the right tutors, who might have connections. You know, how much of a suck-up can I be in order to, you know, get on this um, third year's 
graduating film or this master's project. Um, and I don't know how to do that. I'm not that kind of person. I've never been good in those, um, I guess. You sucked up through doing the work. But it didn't pay off. No, no, like in high school and stuff, you'd suck up. And yeah, and I, I've and never been a suck up. I just, I've just always been me. But when I was in high school, the fact that like I was good at what I did was yeah, enough. that's all you need to do. But in uni it wasn't. No. Um, and yeah, I just, I cracked. Um, and that. How did you know you cracked? What told you that you cracked? Because I could see myself. And I no longer recognise the person that I was. It was very... So if I was... So we've been friends for a long time. Yeah. And I came into your life at the back end of your degree and you were a very different person yeah. than you are now. But if I was watching on in your first year of uni, how would I know that you weren't okay? Or well, would I see? So... Okay, at the beginning of uni, I was, you know, fresh-faced. I was still me. Um, mm. But as the year went on, um, I I started it, – it was different things at first. So the first year I started to um, – I started to withdraw a lot um, from from my family. That was the first thing. Which is, yeah. Which for me, like. I, yeah, that's it, a huge thing. It's you. a huge thing. Um, I didn't talk to my mum anymore. Mm. Well, we talked, but it wasn't, it would be like, she'd be like, are you okay? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Um, and usually. Very surface level Yeah, stuff. very surface Shallow, level, which is yeah. the opposite of our relationship. Yeah, yeah, very much. And that was the first thing. Um, and then as the first year went on and I started to be like, okay, my usual tricks aren't working in terms of actually being good at what I'm doing. It's not working anymore. Um, and I kind of withdrew more and more from my family um, and started really – that was the beginning of – because I have a very addictive personality. Um, and that was the beginning of me developing self-destructive coping mechanisms in order to deal with the fact that I felt like I was a failure. So like self-sabotage. Self-sabotage because so I was like, oh, I've already screwed myself. I've already screwed up, so it doesn't matter anyway. Um so the, the first thing was um, I never, obviously, I'd never really drunk very much before, um, but between 2000, over 2017 and 2018, I struggled hugely um, with what I would say was the beginnings of alcoholism, the beginnings of a really serious problem with alcohol. Um, so I would drink. It got to a point where I would drink every night. Um, I would... I would drink every night and then when I'd go out, I'd binge drink. Mm -hmm. um, so because I felt, you know, I felt different, like a different person. And when I was drunk, I didn't have to think about things. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I drank way too much. I got pissed all the time. Um, and then I think it was worse because of quite a lot of the time I was in Sydney with my uni friends. So my mum and dad didn't know. So you could hide it from them. I could hide it from them. Hmm. Like they, they'd know that I was hungover, but they didn't know that I was, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, when I say drinking, I would say like I would drink over, if I was in Sydney at a house party or something over the weekend, I would drink an, an entire bottle of vodka. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like I'm, 
it was bad. Um, but it stopped the pain. It numbed it. Um, and I could be fun. I could be, I could be goofy Grace. I could be funny, fun Grace when I was drunk. So I want to ask you about something that we haven't talked about, Mm -hmm. um, yet. Um, do you feel comfortable talking about Silas? Yeah. Yeah. That was, this was going to lead into that. Um, tell, tell us about, yeah. Tell me about how Silas was born and how that conversation happened on my back porch. Yes. So, um, (laughs) basically I have been going to therapy for years, um, on and off. Um, but over the last year in particular, I've really knuckled down and I'm seeing a therapist every week and it's not me. No, that would be a breach. No, There's friends. ethical issues there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're just friends and we work um, together. I see a therapist uh, every week. She's incredible. Um, but basically she, okay, I need to give some context on this. So the drinking, and obviously a byproduct of drinking way too much alcohol is that you gain weight mm-hmm. because alcohol is not good for you mm. and it's not good for your body. Mm. Um, and I've always, I'd always struggle with my weight um, as a kid. I was always a chubby kid, mm-hmm. always a chubby kid. And uh, in year 11 and 12, I, um, I was a binge eater. It was emotional eating. It was the way I dealt with the anxiety, the stress of everything that I was putting myself under. And so by the time I um, got to uni, I'd I'd gained a lot of weight. Um, And so I lost it a bit in the break between high school and uni just by, you know, watching what I was eating, trying to exercise more, did it all in a really healthy way. Um, And then got into uni, started drinking massively and gained a shit ton of weight again. Um... And then sorted out the drinking, um, but still really struggled with the weight. Wasn't able to shift it no matter what I did. Um, and so I remember it was after my 21st birthday. Um, I saw the photos from my 21st birthday and I cried at how I looked. I hated it so much. Um, and so I decided that I was going to get skinny and lose weight. Um, fast forward to 2020. Um, I was hospitalized for two and a half weeks, um, because I weighed 39 kilos and I was told by my, um, doctor that I was about two days from my heart giving out. So this is all ties into Silas because, uh, when I was first diagnosed with anorexia, um, I started seeing, uh, my therapist, my current therapist who specializes in eating disorders. Um, and straight away she could see how angry I was at myself, how much I hated myself, just the, the absolute disdain that I had for myself at that point in my life. And she told me that the only way I was going to be able to get through this was if I stopped being angry at myself and started being angry at my illnesses. And so she told me to externalise uh, at that point what I thought was just the eating disorder and create a a person or a creature to be pissed at instead of taking it out of myself. Um, and so I created Silas. Um, Silas is a dick. Um, and however, he, I've over the last year, particularly of therapy, um, I've come to realize that he, that the eating disorder, even though probably the most destructive of my, uh, poorly chosen coping mechanisms, was just the last one in the long line of things that Silas has used to help me um, protect me from the damage that he's causing. So it was, you know, it was the binge eating in high school. It was uh, the drinking. 
and the self-harm in uni and then it's the eating disorder and so yeah it's just been one thing after the other so no really big one event but lots of little events almost like the trauma of your own creation yeah self-inflicted trauma (laughs) it's self-inflicted trauma um and that has led me to being the person that I am today um I'm very I'm very good at hiding it I'm a very good actor um but obviously for people who know me well they know that every day is it's a struggle (laughs) every day is a struggle to um yeah to not be we have to learn to talk to silence too and tell them to shut the fuck up we're busy yeah yeah shan does it on a regular basis she's better at it than i am but that's okay yeah because i'm bossy cow yeah (laughs) but like i and for context externally um because we've worked together so much you can see on days where silas is loud because i'm quiet not necessarily well yeah because you're quiet but more because your reactions and onboarding of information changes. So like I'll give you, you know, can you do this or can we change this? And if Silas has been left at home, it's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's try this or I can try this font or this thing or this thing and it's not a problem. But when he's all up in your grill, there's – um, it's almost like I've, I've, I've chastised you. Or I've, I've yelled at you or I've, I've like roused on you. It's because whenever, when it's those days I have that little voice in the back of my head saying, oh, she's pissed at you. You screwed up again. Mm. Yeah. And I can see that and then, then I turn into a bossy cow and go, Silas, fuck off. <laughs> We're busy. Because <laughs> I, can, I can almost, I can see him happening in your brain. Yeah. And he's getting really, really loud and he's seeing things that I'm so involved in the project or whatever it is that we're actually working on that sometimes I look up at you across the desk and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, yes. he's, oh, there's there's more of us in the office today. There's one of those days. <sighs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. I have to sort of double check myself. But I think yeah. it's, it's a process and mm. we work on it. Like when we do, because you don't have as much tone or context in, in text, when we send each other stuff when we're not, sitting in the office together because really we actually usually only sit in the office together for like three four hours a week yeah it's all online the rest of the stuff is on online and we work from home a lot so i'll go oh i need this and this and this and because i'm like three things at once yeah yeah you just get like no you don't get any hi, hun, how are you going, blah, blah, blah. It's just I need this thing or this thing needs to change, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, no, she hates me. She's so mad at me. And then I, the only way I can tell is when you start apologising for shit doesn't need to be apologised. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're breathing. Breathing's fine. That's allowed. Um, but, yeah, and then yeah. <laughs> what do I send you back? Delete the last message, please. <laughs> Delete the last message and tell Silas to shut the fuck up. Yeah, and it, it is. And it's just it, – it, it's getting to a point where I realise that this is this is my life and it's something that I'm going to have to handle and something that I'm going to have to deal with. Um, and some days it's easier. Um, some days um, the idea of eating a slice of toast makes me want to throw up. So it's some days I wake up and I feel like I can do everything and then other days getting out of bed is impossible. impossible. 
but he'd do all the good stuff. He'd do all the right stuff. And you you go and see your therapist. You go to your dietitian. You go to the gym and you do engage in healthy stuff. And you're even so much better because you are. You're quite insular in that you have a small group around you. And when you're in the group, you can see. But when you're not, you keep everybody else out of it. Yeah. I'm very... I have lots of mates, but very few close friends. Mm. It's a, and I prefer it that way. Um, I'm very introverted, and I just I'm I'm like people who don't know me very well wouldn't know that I'm introverted because when I'm in a bigger group, I'm very good at pretending to be social. Masking, like it's yeah, You're masking. Yeah, um, but I, I'm realizing that my my biggest goal I think is to one day get to a point where I do all of these right things and healthy things for me um, because at the moment and I'm very aware of the fact that at the moment I I actively choose every day to get out of bed I actively choose to be in recovery every day um, I actively choose not to drive my car into a tree on the way to work every day um, because of the people who love me um, and that's what keeps me going there, I think there's a choice you forgot, which is that you choose not to give Silas the spotlight. Yeah. Every day. And sometimes he's a fucktard. <laughs> Come on, we've called him way uh, worse yeah. than that in our messages. Uh, this is true. <laughs> sometimes we come out with really good names too. I'm, I've, I, we should, I've, I have pitched the idea of starting a insult dictionary. <gasps> Can we start with douche canoe, please? Yes. Thank you. To douche canoe and other phrases. Yes. A collection. Oh, my God. Patent pending. Sold. Penguin will be all over that shit. <laughs> right next to the Great Gatsby. <laughs> but keeping Silas out of the spotlight. That's because I have too many other people in my life who deserve that spotlight. I have too many other voices who tell me that they love me, who tell me that I'm worth something, who are there to build me up and believe in you. Believe in me. So I, he doesn't deserve the spotlight. No, he's a douche canoe. He is a douche canoe. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's been realising um, that I actually do have those people. Um, and some of them, some of them like my mum who has been there all along um, and, you know, she will always be my, she'll always be my, my ground zero um but there have been new additions along the way like you mm-hmm. um uh my fiance um finding somebody who actually loves me for me um and not only likes me enough to be with me for three years but actually likes me enough to want to spend the rest of their life with me um has forced me to realize that maybe I am worth something um so it took it's taken a long time um some people it takes a lot longer yeah and I'm still I still have days where I'm like what's the catch <laughs> like but he's not with me for my money so like <laughs> you did say you're in the creative arts yes. yeah yeah I was very I put that on the table very early on yeah, creative um, arts and and COVID yeah. has not gone well no so fortune. if that's what his long con is then soz cobs you're not, it's 
he's trying to know how to break it to you, babe, but it's oh, not going to happen. No, he's going to um, sell his hair to foreign countries to yes. make wigs because that man has so much, so much, so hair. much hair. Um, it's and phenomenal. Patsy and Adina from Abfab would be super yes. jealous. <laughs> Sorry, cop. Um, but yeah, it's been that. It's been my support network. It's been the people that love me. And for me, too personally, like it's a, it's an individual thing. But for me, it's also been my faith. Um, that thing that you know, I've grown up with that thing that I uh, have remembered that even in the worst times that um, even if everybody else in the world ditches me, um, I have a God who thinks that I'm worth something. And I think all of those things combined helps me get out of bed every day. (laughs) Even when Silas is sitting on my chest like the world's shittiest cat. (laughs) I think that might be a really good point to end with today. Thank you so much, Gracie. That was really awesome. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me for The Trauma Tales. A new episode will be released every fortnight and they will cover all areas and topics where trauma has occurred. I'm really looking forward to sharing these with you. If you'd like to follow our social pages, the links are in the show notes. Let us know what you think. If this episode of The Trauma Tales has impacted on you, please contact one of the following resources. Lifeline, Kids Helpline, 1-800-RESPECT, Men's Helpline. The contact details for each of these are in the show notes. Or if you would like to contact us to share your story on our podcast, or if you want to sponsor our show, please email us at thetraumatales, all lowercase, all one word, at gmail.com.